Hey everyone, I'm Jen Garrett and welcome to the Move the Ball podcast. On this podcast, we are going to talk about how to succeed in business and in life by putting winning strategies into practice to help you advance faster. So if you're looking to move forward and reach that next level of greatness, then you are in the right place. Now get ready. Let's suit up, show up and move the ball. Hey everyone, Jen Garrett here. It's so great to be back with you on another episode of Move the Ball. Today, inside the huddle with us and ready to help us to move the ball is Mr. Ted Karras. Now, Ted is a former football player who played college football as a defensive tackle at Northwest University and also played in the NFL for the Washington Redskins. Following his time playing ball, Ted spent 27 years coaching football at all levels, including being the head coach at Marion University, where the football program won an NAIA championship in 2012. Ted also comes from a football family with his dad, two uncles and son also playing in the NFL, which we will be discussing more on the show. Ted, welcome to the show. Jen, great to be with you. Great seeing you at the Combine a couple of weeks ago. Yes, it was great seeing you and, and Teddy while I was in Indy. And I'm really glad that we are chatting today. I've been looking forward to it for some time. I know this is something we've been talking about for months. And after I saw you guys in Indy, you know, I've just been really ready to sit down and do this interview. So here we go. There's so many places that I could start off our conversation. And what I want to do is let's start off by talking about you growing up around the sport of football. Your dad played in the league and was a member of the 1963 World Champion Chicago Bears team, which is important to me as a Bears fan. And then your Uncle Lou played for the Redskins. Your Uncle Alex played for Detroit Lions. And just this year in 2020 was elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So share with us, like, how did your dad and your uncles playing the game of football influence you growing up? Well, we all wanted to emulate them at some point in time. But one thing they never did, though, Jen, was ever really push the game on us. You know, in fact, my dad didn't allow me to play football until seventh grade because he thought it was too young. And it's funny how, you know, in these now times where that's when kids are starting to start, when they used to start at eight years old. So um, they never pushed it on us, but it was really cool growing up in a football family. I mean, I'm a Bears fan too, from way back, Jen, when, you know, he was playing. And it was awesome to hear the stories, how the, you know, because a way different game now in the 60s, you know, and 70s than it is now. And hearing my son's stories and hearing my dad's stories back in the day, it was just awesome. And it was really cool being a part of. And is there anything specific that your dad or your uncles kind of shared with you from playing in the game that really stuck with you and helped you continue to play the game and also just to be successful off the field? Yeah, well, show up every day and, you know, be a good teammate, work hard every day. Nothing's given to you. One thing I realized at a young age was that football is a what have you done for me lately business. And they definitely instilled that you know, in me. And that's why I felt it as a player. Then even as a coach, when I got into coaching, you know, you have to prove yourself every day. And I think that's probably the, one of the biggest lessons that I learned from them. Oh, I think that's great because I think sometimes in the corporate world, we lose sight of the, the fact that we need to be showing up and proving ourselves every day because people aren't necessarily looking at, are you proving yourself? Are you performing each and every day? Now they may be on a weekly or a monthly basis, but it, I mean, how you show up matters. And when you look at the people that are really successful, both in the game and beyond the game, it's those people that remember that they need to show up each and every day and bring their A game and really perform. It's so important. 
Yeah. So let me ask you something fun. Were there any crazy stories or games that uh, your family liked to talk about or that you remember from being a kid? Yeah, there's quite a few crazy stories. I mean, I'll start with one. Back in the day, Chicago Bears, you know, they had some tough practices and my dad had to go against Doug Atkins a lot. And sometimes there'd be fisticuffs and fights. And, you know, Doug Atkins was a huge, huge man. He was 6'8", I think of 285 back in the day, which is really, really big, 300. And (laughs) he wanted to fight my dad. And my dad just said, no, Doug, I'm not going to fight you. I just have my gun in the car. That's how we're going to end it. Just joking around, obviously. That to my Uncle Alex's stories of, uh, well, the year he was suspended, he um, staged a fight, another fight story with Dick the Bruiser, in his bar in Detroit, which was all staged, by the way. A lot of people thought it was real, but he was wrestling Dick the Bruiser later on a couple days from there, and they staged this big fight, and they sold out the place. But those are a couple unique kind of crazy stories that I remember offhand. Oh, well, thanks for sharing that. So let's talk about your playing career. You know, playing football, first off in high school, is different in some ways than playing collegiately and then moving from college to the NFL is also very different. So what was it like for you playing at Northwestern and coming from a football family? Was it easier for you to kind of balance being a student athlete with trying to be successful academically? I didn't have really any trouble with that. You know, always was a time manager. That's another thing I learned you know, being in athletics. But my road to Northwestern wasn't an easy one. You know, I wasn't signed on signing day. And that was kind of a crushing thing. And literally, my dad and I sent out telegrams in 83 after signing day. Luckily, caught the eye of Dennis Green. And we went up there on a Tuesday after the signing day, like a week after. And they looked at my film and they offered me a scholarship on the spot, which was awesome. He always say he saved a couple every year, he said. And I ended up, you know, starting as a freshman and, and starting for four years in the Big Ten. Balancing my academics, I got out in four years. I took summer school, though, too, to get ahead of the game. A lot of students are required to do now. You know, Northwestern, it was great. I mean, it was a great opportunity to play in the Big Ten, beautiful school, campus, the academics, everything. But we just didn't have a winning football team. I think our best record was four and seven. You know, that was just a a thing that wasn't that great about college athletics. You always want to win. You know, we we were not part of a big winning era. But I enjoyed my time there, got my degree, and then and then went on with life afterwards. I have lifelong friends, you know, from that experience. Sure. And a couple of questions I want to ask you about what you just shared. First off, so you weren't signed on National Signing Day, which uh, is not a fun feeling, right? But how we all have these moments in our life where we expect something and it doesn't happen, and it's a form of rejection or non-acceptance or whatever you want to call it. And so how did how did you feel in that moment? And then did your dad say something like, "How did you move forward?" And then start sending out these telegraphs. What happened? Yeah, so that's a good question. So actually, I was on my way back, me and him, uh, from Gary to Evansville. I, I was going on a Division Two visit um, after the fact. Um, and, uh, we just got back and, and he looked at me when we got back to Gary and said, listen, I, I think you can play at a you know bigger level. Let's see what happens. So yeah, we literally took action right when we got back and it's, it's odd. It's a telegram. No one even knows what those are anymore, but it got the attention of really two coaches, Muddy Waters at Michigan state and Dennis Green at, at Northwestern. And they had us up and, and visited, you know, and, and they offered me and then, it just personally, I had a chip on my shoulder. I knew going back to what we talked about earlier, I had to prove myself every day, you know, rose up to be a starter as a freshman after not getting recruited. Great. And you mentioned, you know, Northwestern didn't have a, a winning football program. And so how did you get through like every game, you know, when you, you play a game and you don't win, like, how do you pick yourself? How, how do you keep motivated 
for the next game. And the reason why I'm asking this too is because, you know, in, in life, sometimes something happens, we, we fail, we have a misstep and we don't get the outcome that we wanted. And a lot of times people just get so stuck in that negativity and, and they lose focus of where they want to go because they're upset about what happened. And one thing that sports taught me as a kid is you just got to go to the next game. You move on, right? You didn't win that game. We got another game next week. Like, let's keep moving. Like what things helped you from playing college ball or just playing football in general to really like pick yourself up and say, you know what? I got to move. I can't worry about what just happened. It's time to keep focusing and going forward. No, absolutely. And, and well, no one's feeling sorry for you. So that's one thing you got to realize that, you know, you, it's your responsibility to pick yourself up because no one else is going to do it for you. And if you don't, no one else is. So you, you better get up and move. And also some things you got to do is is change the way you do some things. I don't know if we quite did that enough, but we had to learn a little bit from our missteps and always try to improve every week and just try to be the best, you know, that you could be, you know, amongst your team. And, you know, perseverance was a big thing I learned from that still showing up with a positive attitude. Don't be down guy because we're not winning. You got to be up every day. The game was on Saturday. It's over. We're on to a new week and getting back to, you know, what have you done for me lately? We did nothing last week. What could we do this week, you know, to, to cure everything? So those are some of the things I learned. Got it. And so was there a game uh, while playing at Northwestern that kind of really stuck out in your mind where things didn't go right or well, and that was a really great learning moment for you? Gee, there's so many of them, John. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I had a bad well, one. One bad loss was I. Uh, I broke my thumb on Ronnie Harmon's helmet at Iowa, tackling him. Uh, we got trounced in the game, and I was taken out. But I did end up, you know, finishing the season. But um, that was just a particularly bad, bad game that you know. You had to bounce back from what I did, though, is I taped it up. I didn't tape it up. I cast it up. You know, next week went out and played again, and we did some good things. But that was probably a low moment, if that's what you're asking. Sure. And let's flip it around. So how about a memorable game on a positive note for you? Positives? Well, we didn't have a lot. But I'll tell you one that I can't remember was my last game uh, senior year, playing the Illini. My my wife's uh, alma mater. And we were dating at the time, and she had all her friends there. It was my last game. I was on the road, and it was in Champaign, and we won it. And it was a glorious moment. Francis Pay actually was the head coach, and that propelled him on to get a four-year contract. We won our last two games my senior year, beat Michigan State and Illinois. So with all the down times at Northwestern, my last two games were wins as a senior, and we also propelled the coaching staff to get an extension. So I was very proud of that and happy for all those guys. So let's talk about your coaching days now. So you spent over two decades in the coaching realm, including being the head coach at Marion University in Indiana. And you were the head coach since the program's inception in 2007. And then in 2012, took the team to an NIA championship. I want to talk about a couple of things here, but let's begin with that first season. Tell us about what that's like as you're essentially in the building phase of a team and of a program. What were some of the important lessons that uh, you learned as an athlete that you really wanted to instill on day one with those players and the staff? Well, that's a good question. Yeah. So when I arrived at Marion University, they never had football. They were trying to increase male enrollment and enrollment was down. They needed a boost of confidence. So they thought football might be something that could interject some enthusiasm at the school. So yeah, it was, it's quite a daunting task when I look back on it, but I was, I was really eager for the task to start something from scratch. So some things that I definitely learned throughout was we got to have a you know, guys that are, you know, good people, you know, on the field, off the field, 
have a disciplined approach to things that I did. We had a team-based disciplinary system. Motivation, day in and day out. I'm, I'm a motivator. I like to make people feel good about themselves and what they're doing. I, I felt that most of my guys really wanted to play for me. We played with a lot of enthusiasm. You know, it was a one and nine season, but our goal was at least win one game. And we won that one game. And then from that moment forward, Marion really kind of took off and has been good ever since. And, and we won the national title within, you know, six years, which is a record to this day, starting from scratch at any level. But good people, discipline program, motivation, good coaches, obviously, were some of the big keys to uh, having that success. Yeah. So walk us through that journey from inception to that championship uh, season. So, you know, what were some of the high points? What were some of the struggles? Well, it was interesting. You know, they uh, originally wanted us to have 15 recruits in our first year and we delivered 48. So it was, you know, we, we were ahead of the curve as far as trying to build the team. And we did it with a lot of numbers. And then it got almost turned into greed by the uh, administration wanting 150 guys on your team every year. You know, that's not really a recipe for success. But we built up the numbers, which is a big thing. That came with some tough times. So it was a tough time I'll talk about. Three years into it, we had a winning season, but there was a lot of strife amongst the team and the fact that I had too many guys. And there wasn't a lot of team guys. And, and we found out the right number for football. I think we were at 120, 105. We were at 155, and not everyone's happy. And and we had to make some mass cuts. We gave guys opportunities, you know, to try to get back on. But as a coaching staff, we met for two days and, and we cut out the cancers, if you will. From there, we really propelled ourselves to greatness in the last three years and, and really took off. But that was a big learning thing. You know, you, a team, there's a certain chemistry to it. And if you get over a tipping point, there's a book actually on that, you're never going to have any harmony or peace on your team. So, that was one big lesson I learned. And, you know, obviously the highlights were the last couple years, you know, we won the national title at any level. That's always a special thing to get a ring. And and uh, winning that was, you know, fabulous after looking back after six years and starting with no stadium, you know, no nothing. And then delivering a national championship trophy to your school and injected the school with enthusiasm and then spurred them on to start a medical school. It gave everyone confidence around there and it really upped the other programs and everything and everything else around the school. It was really, really cool experience. And part of being a coach is the ability to see the growth in your players. Are there any players at Marion or any other uh, institution that you coach that really stood out in your mind because you saw tremendous growth, not only from an athletic talent development standpoint, but just from who they were as people? All kinds. But one one example right now currently is is a guy by the name of Brock Caraboa, who was a uh, one of my first our first recruits there. He started as a freshman. He came in. He was always a leader team guy, but he ended up coaching, you know, for me when we won the title. He didn't get to win the title. He was at our first playoff team in 2010. We got beaten the second round, and then he went into coaching. And he's been coaching there ever since, but just got a fabulous Division One opportunity at Kansas just a few weeks ago. And he called me and wanted to thank me for everything, you know, that I did or, you know, and helped them along the way. But there's just one example of a guy that I saw, you know, as a senior in high school, played for me, coached for me, went on coach with other people and now is, you know, made it to the division one level, which I'm extremely proud of him. But there's all kinds of examples. Jen, I gave a a 33 year old kid a shot at Marion named Joe Snow. God love him. And he's a successful businessman here in Indianapolis, but he wanted to play at 33. At the NAI, you could play him. And I, he actually got in a couple of games and he's part of our program and he's thankful to this day. So there's all kinds of things. 
great moments and and just to be a factor in a lot of kids' lives, as they tell me now, when I'm going to their weddings and seeing their kids, you know, that, that's really one of the satisfying things of being a coach. Oh, sure. And I love that story because I think all of us listening can remember a time when someone took a chance on us, right? We, we don't get where we're going in life just on our own. There are people that help pull us up, that took risks, took chances on us to, to give us a shot to succeed. And so that's great. So I'm glad you mentioned him uh, on the show too. To those listening, I would encourage you, if you're in a position to to help other people and take a chance on someone that you believe in, then to do that. Because again, remember that people did that for us. So we should, you know, pay it forward and really try to help other people. And it's a great feeling when you know that you could help someone make a difference. Let's switch gears and let's talk about your son, Teddy, who is currently playing in the NFL, played in, as an offensive lineman for the Patriots and has two Super Bowl championships underneath his belt, Super Bowl 51 and 53. And so what I want to do first is talk about that first Super Bowl championship for a minute. So for those that aren't uh, intimately familiar, remember Super Bowl 51 was the Super Bowl where the Patriots played the Atlanta Falcons. Okay, so we are, uh, we're in the stadium. Yeah, I know you're at the game and it's a scoreless first quarter. Second quarter, Atlanta scores three touchdowns and New England has a field goal. So it's halftime. Scores 21 to three. Now, as a former coach, player, and dad of a young man who's playing in the Super Bowl game, what's going through your head at halftime? Well, uh, we got to get things right. <laughs> and that's what the Patriots <laughs> did at halftime. I mean, you know, I, I believe it, it was Edelman that came in. It's going to be, you know, he came into the locker room yelling, it's going to be the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. And it turned out to be, you know, those guys weren't, after getting it from Ted later on, those guys weren't overly phased. I mean, they had to get it right and they knew it and they got it done. But, you know, as a fan looking at it, it was, you know, they were kind of getting dominated. But you never can count out the Patriots and Coach Belichick. I don't think so. You know, it was a great, great comeback. I mean, amazing story. And one of the things that's important is to stay mentally tough and not let those situations phase you. As you mentioned, they weren't really shooken up by it. And it was just like, we have a job to do, right? And it's going to be the greatest comeback ever. But that's what great athletes do is they don't let the situation phase them. They just figure out what they have to do to keep moving forward and to turn it around. Absolutely. You know, so Coach, Coach Belichick, just one of his things on mental toughness, his definition is doing what's good for the team when things aren't going particularly well for you. And that happens a lot in life and sports and whatever, but that's their mentality. And things weren't going right for quite a few guys, but they continue to do the things that were good for the team and it provided a positive outcome. Sure. And so, you know, we fast forward, you know, things turned around in the second half. It was uh, tied at the end of the game, went into overtime and Patriots ended up winning. So an amazing comeback. What did Teddy say to you after the game? Uh, we were just elated. I don't know. We just hugged. We were just elated, you know, and then went to the after party. I didn't get to go on the field on that one. You only get two. So my wife and his uh, fiance went on that one. So I didn't get immediate reaction. But, you know, it was euphoria like it always is, you know. I'll give you another Belichickism. As they didn't win it this year, you know, he said every season ends either in euphoria or it comes to a crash landing. And that's the reality of a football season. It's a season. There's a beginning. There's an end. There's a could be a euphoric ending or a crash landing. And that's how it goes. And then you got to keep moving on from there. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's an amazing game. It's one that I talk about often when I, I give my talks because, I mean, it's just tremendous comeback. And it really comes down to being able to stay mentally tough and then execute and do what you have to do, right? To put points on the board and to win the game. And so it was a great game to watch. 
And uh, just as a preview for our listeners, I'm also going to be having a chat with Teddy on a future show, too. And so we'll actually get his thoughts about this game and playing for the Patriots. So little uh, preview of uh, something to come in the future. Let's talk about the Patriots organization a little bit more. I mean, you've got people that love them, that people that hate them because of their continued success. But, you know, Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, great leaders. I mean, there's a lot of amazing leaders on that team. And in your mind, what is it about these individuals that really make the Patriots a successful organization? Like if you could pinpoint a couple qualities, what would you say that is? We've talked about a few of them. One is, what have you done for me lately? Coach Belichick is truly one of those guys. You know, you better come into his facility and his program ready to prove yourself each and every day. You know, their work ethic is unmatched, I feel, as a coaching staff. What I've got to see, how they really attack it from every angle and every situation is is unmatched. I think it all stems, though, from Coach Belichick, I got to say. I mean, obviously, he's had great players, but the one thing I admired just from an outside looking in is that he holds everyone accountable from Tom Brady to Teddy Karras. He doesn't have favorites. And as a player, that is something that's special that not all coaches either have the courage or, you know, they do all the time. And, and anytime you start to show favorites or whatever, you know, I, I think it just ruins the integrity of the team. And I think that's one thing that Coach Belichick has stood true for his 40 plus years of coaching is that he's going to treat everyone the same. And it's all about the team. And I think that's truly part of their success. One big part of it, at least, Jen, that I can identify. Now, that, that's a great point because that doesn't just hold true in sports. I mean, that principle, holding everyone accountable and treating everyone the same is important no matter what organization you're in, business, nonprofit. That is huge because your people want to see that you are treating everyone the same and that you will hold those people accountable when they need to be held accountable. Absolutely. No matter who yes. they are, right? Even if they're like the star performer on the team, like if they don't do something, they're getting their ass chewed out too. Pardon my language. I don't usually <laughs> use that kind right. of language. I do during football games. <laughs> not <bet>. on my <laughs> podcast. <laughs> so let, let's switch gears now. And let's go to my two-minute drill, which is a standard questions that I ask all my guests. Are you ready? I am ready. All right. Here we go. What is your favorite food? Baked clams. Okay. What's your favorite movie? Blazing Saddles. I'm trying to think. I'm like, I don't remember if I've seen that movie. I'm, I don't watch it's too old. many movies. It's <laughs> an old movie. That's, my uncle was in it. He was a Mongo. And it's just a, uh, I guess it's a cold classic now, if you can call it that. Mel Brooks movie back in the 70s. Yeah. Okay. I'll have to look it up. Uh, what's your favorite sports team? Patriots last four years. Obviously. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what's the best piece of advice that you've gotten from a coach or a mentor? I'm going to give you a good one. Alex Karras, God rest his soul, gave me when I take my buddies out on spring break. Uh, that's where we'd go to visit him. And he said, you better learn how to cook, man, because you never know when you're going to be on your own and you need to always eat. So always learn how to cook. And I learned how to cook at a young age. I've been cooking ever since. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> What's the best piece of advice that you would give somebody else? Be open to the realm of all possibilities. Oh, I like that. All right. What is one thing that most people don't know about you? Well, recently I partnered in a business here in Indianapolis called Relief Wellness Cafe. We're a wellness and CBD products. And it's um, I partnered with some Indianapolis businessmen. And that's something probably a lot of people don't know because it's kind of a recent event. Great. So tell us a little bit more about what the business does. I mean, the CBD products, but give us a little more and tell us how people can find you. Sure. Well, people can find us at relief, R-E-L-E-A-F-W-C.com. 
we were taking a medical approach to it. We have a doctor on staff. We're going to have one retail store open now. We're going to have two more open soon. We're also doing wholesale, but all kinds of CBD products. There's so many good things that heal pain and, and just bring your body into balance from the tinctures to the lotions to massage oils, all kinds of really good things. Uh, the cannabis plant can afford one. We, we put that in a retail store. We also do other wellness products, heavy blankets, skin products, all kinds of things. But it's an industry that you know, hasn't been researched since the 70s when it was vilified, but now it's you know shown to have a lot of good medicinal value and really happen to be helping people in that realm. Oh, great. And we'll put the link to the the website in the show notes too. So you guys can check that out. Last question in the two minute drills. If you could be any superhero, who would you be and why? I'd be Superman so I could fly. There you go. (laughs) Awesome. So as we wrap up today's show, any last thoughts for our listeners? No, just love what you do, Jen. It's good to know you over the last couple of years. I love your inspirational thoughts on a daily basis, and it was really an honor to be on your show. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, and I uh, look forward to having Teddy on here soon as well. That sounds good. And thanks again to everyone for listening, and we will talk to you on the next episode. If you haven't already done so, hit that subscribe button for the podcast so that you stay in the loop and that you're in the know for when the next episode is released. Until next time, make sure that you suit up, you show up, and you move the ball. Thank you for listening to Move the Ball. To see more about what I'm up to and how I can help you to move the ball, check out my website at www. JenniferAGarrett.com. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. And also join the Move the Ball Facebook group for even more content and to be a part of the Move the Ball movement.